Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Support this podcast by following it on iTunes or by going to patreon.com slash markamander, p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash markamander. And welcome back to the Knowledge Wonderland podcast from Los Angeles. See, that's that's an insider trick there. If you say that you're broadcasting from somewhere, it apparently sounds more fancy. Uh, I am Mark Ambender. The guest today, Emily zoltan Gillette. I confess I bought my way into her life. I bought my way into the life that she shares with Penn Gillette uh, and their two children. And I did so shamelessly, and they welcomed me. Shamelessly, Penn was crowdfunding a movie called Director's Cut, which itself is a meta-commentary on crowdfunding and director's cuts. I had found some money in a shoebox and uh, thought it'd be a great opportunity, maybe my only opportunity, to really get to know, even if just for a day, Penn, because I think he is one of the most, uh, he's just uh, amazing in so many ways. Yes, I'm a fanboy, and I did not even see a single episode of The Celebrity Apprentice. I came to Penn and Teller naturally. And so I said, hey, you know, makes no financial sense, so I'll do it. So I did it. What I didn't count on was really getting to know Emily as well as Penn. She is, well, just as amazing. We're going to talk in our conversation about what she did for Director's Cut. She serves, as I believe the world's first credited producer of crowdfunding fulfillment, which means it was her job to make sure that the 5,500 or so people who funded the film got everything that they needed and were happy about it and felt that they had participated in the making of the movie. But what's also amazing about this, not just swag, not just t-shirt, but maybe two dozen people, strangers, got to visit Penn and Emily at their house, got to hang with Penn on a spa day, every Saturday, Penn goes to the spa and gets his nails done. True. Got to even hang out at the Sacred Movie Night, which is a tradition that Penn began in New York, um, which I can tell you from having experienced it, is amazingly funny, but also just a the type of interaction that a, a major celebrity has with his close circle of friends that you never get to see. But Pendulette, who after every show... He and Teller, if you've been to one of their shows, you know, will go out to the, the lobby, shake hands, take pictures with anyone who wants. They'll stay there. Sometimes, if the theater is large, 
uh, for more than an hour, fulfilling the request of every fan. Throughout their entire careers, they've always been extraordinarily fan-friendly. Um, so this movie was no exception, um, but it took crowdfunding and crowdfunding fulfillment to, I think, unprecedented levels. I don't know if it can be replicated. And at the center of all of it was Emily. She has a family. She has her private life with Penn. She has children to raise. And she had this incredible commitment to make sure that everyone who donated felt that they were part of something big. So we talked about that. We also talked about a little bit about Penn's radical weight loss and what it was like for Emily to sort of transition into cooking um, very, very different types of foods in their life. And finally, a little bit about the Broadway show Hamilton. But Emily has become one of my favorite people, and uh, and you'll you'll hear why in our in our conversation today. Thanks again to Acast for hosting and distributing this podcast. Acast.com. Their slogan is "Making Good Stories Great." They certainly make my stories sound good, and I appreciate that. And they have a really good player that I have begun to use. You can get it in the iPhone App Store from your authorized Android app dealer or wherever fine Google Play products are sold. And now my conversation with Emily Zoltan Gillette. It just seems like, again, you have, you have a lot of, you have thousands of people that you have to make happy, um, or at least in theory. And I was saying, in theory, somebody else could have done this, but the reality is because Penn was so intimately involved in it and himself making, making himself the center of the efforts to achieve the fulfillment, which sounds a little dirty, but you know what I mean. I think somebody else could have done this crowdfunding um, for the typical items, the t-shirts and the physical fulfillment things that get sent out. But in this particular case, uh, our higher levels had to do with spending time with Penn and doing things with Penn. Penn performed marriages. Penn taught people to juggle. Penn Penn brought people backstage. And both for scheduling as well as sort of the social fluidity really required me. I don't see anybody else being able to have handled this as well as my obsession with getting, getting and keeping 5,500 people happy is ultimately how many donors we have today, 5,500. And because it represented my husband and this project, I became obsessed with it. Um, of course, you got some sort of extra VIP treatment because you were producer level, because you became our friend, because, um, uh, you know, Penn liked talking to you. But I think that you could glean yeah. just from the general communication I provided that I made conscious choices daily to keep our um, crowdfunders updated, to make them feel they got their money's worth, to make them feel in the loop with special information. And I can proudly say out of 5,500 donors, I believe we only had three that were unhappy and we refunded them all. Part of the fulfillment was not just bringing people into Penn's orbit, but, and, and certainly not, I mean, I, I was one of the, one of the lucky ones to be brought into Penn's orbit into your, but into your home at times. I mean, I know. <laughs> um, that's, 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 that's a little, cra- I mean, crazy in, in a, in a sense. And it's, it's unprecedented. It is. And in hindsight, we might've offered fewer options <laughs> that involved our home, but we would not have eliminated them. Um, you know, Penn has talked many times about how much he enjoys being a fan and he was a fan of Lou Reed's and a fan of the Ramones and a fan of the residents. And 
he likes supporting and, you know, not pun intended, rewarding people who are fans. And, right. and, and so many of you guys turned out to be friends. And when I say so many, I mean four or five of you have turned out to be friends. Well, that's really awesome. How often do you make four or five new friends? And if it takes a pool of 5,500, great. And that's not to say the other ones are not friends. That just hasn't been been pursued. So coming into the home were things like hot tub parties, which ultimately we we canceled. We decided the hot tub parties were weird and awkward. And ultimately, the people just wanted to spend time with us. So we just switched them to other events that were fun with their permission, with their approval. Nobody got like bait and switched. And everyone was... Did you have any bad incidents at all or anything, anything, or was everyone, I mean. There were no bad incidents. There were a couple of moments of dissatisfaction. Uh, there was a, a person who donated to be on Penn Sunday School. Yeah. So that's his podcast. And he has hundreds of thousands of listeners. And this guy wanted, had his own agenda. And he wanted to talk a lot and he wanted to make jokes a lot. And Penn while he felt a sense of obligation to that donor, he had a much higher sense of obligation to his listeners. So as he is wont to do and excellent at, he controlled the conversation. And at the end, the guy was like, well, I didn't really get to do my thing or whatever. And Penn's like, no, you didn't. It's my show. And we refunded his donation and gave him gas money. (laughs) So he was looking for like a, a, his five-minute tryout at the comedy yes. club or something, but exactly. the comedy store, but and, he didn't get that. And had he been funny, right. he still probably wouldn't have been given too much of a platform, but he wasn't. Um, and and the Teller as well donated, I mean, there were dinners with Penn and Teller as part of this? Yeah, we don't let Teller talk on the podcast either. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, there were no dinners offered with Teller. Oh, okay. Um, Teller was very generous and gave his time in the form of magic lessons and came to one of the weddings wow. and entertained backstage in the monkey room after, uh, above and beyond what any kind partner would give to his other partner for a project. So we are greatly appreciative of Teller's um, time and, and generosity. Um, but dinners with Penn yeah. were many. Mostly lunches, actually, but lunches, and we brought people into the spa. Penn does his day of beauty every Saturday. You know that kind of that kind of gorgeousness doesn't come easy. No, and uh, he gets his hair and nails done every single Saturday. And we would bring people with us and do spend the day with Penn, and we'd go have coffee and lunch in the spa, and you know it was fun. And as a note to crowdfunders. Um, it ties into something that I really learned about crowdfunding because when we, when we created the reward levels, we just thought, oh, this would be a fun for a donor. This would be fun for a donor without giving too much thought on what would be fun or easy for us. So a big tip I would say is don't plan activities that you don't already do. Think about activities that you can let people join you in but doesn't add to your workload. So when we say juggling lesson, Yes, they were fun and they weren't that too much of a hardship. But he juggles every day. He juggles already, but he doesn't spend an hour giving lessons. Right. I'm saying that would not be a great choice to do this again. But dinner and spa, lunch and spa, he already does. Right. So all we're doing is including somebody, and that is much easier. Because of the way Penn interacts with his fans, this model might not be replicable with 
more than a handful of other celebrities. I mean, I can't, I, I can't imagine. I mean, he's just been him. He and Teller for years have been like this. Uh, but and looking at some of the other crowdfunding efforts, um, no one, no one gave anywhere near this level of access. And it's so it, it's hard to imagine that type being replicable. I mean, because you were just I. You're bringing the uh, probably the percentage of time that you had an extra person there in your life during this period. Most other m- most other celebrities or people who are known just would not couldn't bear it. Of course not. And you act like it's over. We had a donor in the monkey room last night. Oh, <laughs> <It's> um, not- <laughs> <laughs> um, so here's the thing, though. Penn wrote this amazing script and yeah. he's had it for years. And a big part of the problem in the narrative of his story was how to explain Herbie Blount being on the set of that movie. Right. And crowdfunding solved that problem. So not only did the crowdfunders make the film possible financially, they made the story possible. They were on set as part of their reward, but also part of what made the story possible. Herbie Blount was a crowdfunder in this movie and he couldn't have justified his place in this movie if we didn't have it. So it was real, a, a perfect storm of um, allowing it to happen and making it happen. I'm trying to explain why, no, nobody could ever do this again, but nobody m- might ever need to. Right. I mean, there's that wonderful scene where Missy Pyle gets really upset with with Herb, Herbie and, uh, and Adam Rifkin is just, has to mollify her in the movie by saying, look, he's, he won this. I mean, he paid to be here. So, you know, you, you stay, stand over there a little bit, but yeah, he, he's able, he's able to film and that is very real and it works as a, as a device. But then you just, it's kind of at that moment where as a crowdfunder myself for the movie, three or four different things came together, you know, in your head and you're just like, Oh man, that's perfect. I mean, that's just perfect. But I will say that that was not truly representative. We didn't really have a Herbie Blount type donor on the set. Nobody bothered us. Was there a little extra work or attention and planning to do? Yes, but we have their money. They paid for that. We we were working for them. So we didn't have any unpleasant situations like that on the set. You know what I mean? Right. Um. So when you say something came to mind, like what? What came to mind? No, what I'm saying. Oh no, no, I'm saying just on that. For me, what came to mind was was, uh, what, I mean, it, it was just perfectly clear as a plot device why he was there, right. um, and it. I mean, it was it was just one of the. I don't know, it was an internal smile that was, that kind of said, "Oh, yeah, yeah that's perfect." But right. you could also see how, in other, I mean, just again, in other, the the ambiguity that that art that artists have towards crowdfunding generally and towards yeah. fans. I mean, that was part of it as well in that one moment. Um, trying to, you also have the just the larger metaphor of trying to, you know, you you have to please the people who fund the picture, um, right. and keep the actors and actresses happy at the same time 
Um, and, you know, and then there was the entire, the level of just creepiness that was, it was just very, I don't know, it, it, that's what I mean. It just, it was, it was, yeah. it was a perfect, it's a perfect vignette for the movie. Um, Agreed. I just don't want anybody, uh, as Penn says, to perceive this as a cautionary tale of crowdfunding. Oh, no. Yeah. It's not. They, they have been amazing. And while I would not do it again, just because of the sheer volume of time it's taken away from my family and my life, um, I'm glad I did it. Um, well, so one of the lessons was to other potential crowdfunders is, as you said, um, you know, if, particularly if you're bringing people into your life, don't schedule anything that you wouldn't already you wouldn't already be doing yourself um on a on a smaller level though for people who are who are doing uh, for example if they're just doing the sort of fulfillment uh the the merch fulfillment so to speak did you learn anything um that is applicable to um let's say that you know, a student filmmaker were going to crowdfund a pro- project. They were able to get a little money for merchandise, so they had it, and they're, you know, they're trying to kind of figure out the best way to maximize uh, their, you know, the the little bit of money that they do have and the time that they have. Um, is there any lessons that you sort of can impart to them, or is this project so unique that, and on a such such a different level that it's kind of hard to move it down the line? Well. Note, I learned one thing that I guess a lot of other crowdfunders already knew, but because I was just, I really did this blindly, um, had I known, I might not have taken it on. The one thing I just learned the hard way was about postage. Postage is extremely expensive and you need to calculate correctly for it. You know, we have rewards that all include the t shirt and then other items. And well, so we collected postage, an estimate to send those items. Well, then we got the T-shirts early, and we wanted everybody to have them for enthusiasm. To send those T-shirts out early was $17,000. So it's it's not an insignificant – it's, you know, it's not non – it's not trivial. And so um, you just have to think about postage clearly in advance. That's all. So, for example, this – we just did a recent round um, of props. Right. Selling off the props for donations. And I just said – Let's put the price up, and then I will send a separate PayPal invoice for the postage once I know where they live, what it weighs, and what level speed they want it sent. And they can decide on their postage. And if it's too much, they can just say no or whatever. I'll take the easy route out. But I didn't even attempt to calculate postage. We have – I don't know how many countries we're in, but a lot. I would say 20 countries around the world have donated. So it's a big difference to send it – You know. a t-shirt to Georgia than it is to send it to Greece, obviously. Uh, I like that those are my two examples, Georgia and Georgia Greece. Georgia and Greece. Did you, uh, is there, when you were looking at, was there apps or, or web services that you used that helped you, that helped you greatly? In other words? Um, there are apps and web services for crowdfunding. I use none of them. I did the, uh, well, I mean, beyond fund anything. Yeah, fund anything, right. Run, of course. But in terms of fulfillment, I didn't use any of them. I did it from scratch. I, I chose to use Opportunity Village, a charity that Penn and I are very um, involved in and have talked much about. They do fulfillment. So they have done, you know, where they roll up the sugar packets and the straws for, for hospitality. So I set up a assembly line where they put a T-shirt, a letter from us, 
into a plastic bag and put the pre-printed label, which I use stamps.com for. Am I advertising for them? Absolutely. They've been so supportive. But I assure you, had I not had them as a sponsor and found them and used them, I would still talk about them because they're one of those companies that delivers not only everything they said they would do, but more. Their customer service was fantastic. They made everything easy for me. Love, love, love them. I can't imagine doing it without them. They have batch printing. So I would pick everybody who gets an extra large t-shirt, plug in there the uh, the the data file with all their addresses, and, and stamps.com would spit out all of my labels correctly, postagized, if you will. That's not a verb. Um, it can be. You can yeah. make it a verb. Um, they were fantastic. So that was the only shortcut that I used. Everything else has been by hand. I still use it now. You know, I still get donations. Um, and I'm not cutting them off because we haven't sold the movie yet. So as right. long as I'm still posting and, and working on it and people are working on it, selling it, we can use the funds. So, um, but there are services out there that exist that have learned how to do things better and they take some of the money too, rightfully so. Uh, we tried to put all the money into the project. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. It really is a good movie, and and that's thank you. It's uh, it uh, and that makes and that makes it all the all the more fun and pleasing to talk about to talk yeah. about that because if it turned out not to be a good movie, I know, <laughs> it'd be awkward. But it turned out to be a good movie. I mean, thank it, you. It's not the movie that was written, by the way, which was also a good movie. It was just harder to make. I I was sitting. If you ever get a chance to see the first cut. It's a very different uh, narrative. Well, very I was story. when I was sit- at the screening in Los Angeles. I was sitting next to um, your sister and your mother, and next to them was John Landis, uh, who had seen an earlier cut of it apparently, or seen part of it in the editing room. But when he came down for the Q and A, he was he said, "Wow, that was better than I thought." And and yeah. I can tell you, during the movie, he was laughing. I mean, there's some yeah. genuine John Landis laughs. He was he really you know he re- was really. Uh, he, he was, he really liked it. It was great. But what, during this movie, when Penn was having all these lunches with people at Spot, he was also on a very radical, um, life-changing, um, uh, uh, I, I hesitate to call it a diet because it's not a diet, but it is a diet. I mean, um... Well, it's nearly a cult, Mark. It is a cult. Um, (laughs) that's the word that I didn't want to use, but I'm going to, I'm going to use it. Um, you, you know why it's a cult to me? Because it's not entirely yet proven science. 
So we are buying into something that we have experienced empirically. Right. We've seen anecdotally with our friends, but there's not enough control or long-term evidence to call it science yet. Um, when that Penn had a health had a health scare, and then afterwards he he sort of started this, um, uh, you know, canvassing a bunch of really smart people that he knows. Ray Cronish has been working on 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 this science personally, just obsessively for as he will himself admit for a long time um and and uh it started but you did you join Penn for the whole i mean for the for the entire including this induction phase which is 15 days of eating pota- what is it potatoes yes and nothing um, else for one hour a day First of all, he rewarded us, and we only did 13 and a half days of potatoes. Oh, okay. And I joined Reward. him both, in, both yeah. in solidarity, yeah, as well as I could always lose a couple pounds, as well as it made life easier to not have to then do three different meals, because I already was cooking different food for my kids who like meat and like chicken, and I still, to this day, feed them that for various reasons including my daughter needs to grow more. But um, so I did the potatoes with Penn and it was um, extremely effective, um, slightly difficult the first few days. And then once you're in the groove, uh, energetic, exhilarating and fun because you'd get up and there'd be 0.75 pounds off your body. And, so, and that's and, ama- and it's amazing feedback level that your body gives you yourself yeah exactly and you know i'll throw the plug in there for withings but you know they really helped keep us in communication because i would weigh in in the morning and pen sleeping in from doing a show at night he'd get up he'd see my weight he would text it to me and then he'd take his weight and i would be out and about running errands and i would see it come up and uh you know it, it it was exciting um I don't. I I would need Ray to speak more about the potatoes, but you know the potatoes aren't the only choice. It's well, you know this is a conversation show. I had with him because potatoes are one of I, the way I taste food. I can't. I can't. Potatoes taste so bad to me that I just can't do that. So, but I was speaking to uh, a mutual friend of ours, Frank Casella. They they did it with white rice. Apparently, yeah. you can do it with and white rice. I can do. And I'm seriously thinking, in fact, I have up on my one of my browsers how to cook white rice. I think we have a whole rice cooker. I think I'm going to do just the induction phase as much as I can to see, to kind of see what happens. Um, but that was, I, I was very tempted by just the enthusiasm that Penn had shown and what he was talking about on his show. And, and I, you know, had my own weight loss odyssey. I could still serve to lose another 15, 20 pounds. But for me, it's also just about the, in the, the feeling, uh, uh, the feeling of health and energy. Um, talking to other people who have been on this particular regimen, I mean, their their hair is shinier and thicker, and um, they are. And I talked to couples on it, and their sex life is so much better. I mean, this the 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 it, it's it, it's life changing immediately in many ways. It is. And um, I the one thing that. I'm curious about because a lot of it, a lot of the food and the recipes are, are, you know, you have to cook, uh, to get it. And, and 
mass-produced food of that kind doesn't always taste very good at all. No. And um, and that's one of the, you know I, I I you were very kind to invite me to your house once and had a wonderful meal um, that tasted even to my extremely jaded taste buds it was it was it was wonderful All, I mean virtually everything that was was cooked there I would eat I would I would eat again um, thank you uh, and and yet mass produced food on that level is just not. It will not taste like that at all, and so one of the things I wonder, and I know that, and you know, with it, as as Ray um, moves forward with his project, um, I, I'm I'm hoping that he he figures out a way to answer the question. If he indeed, because I Ray is a very interesting man, and his philosophy is not necessarily about broadcasting this to the masses so much um, as it is about. Um, uh, Letting people know what the truth is. He's very much in 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 service of truth, which I really admire. Um, but that, to me, would be the great, you know, the the I don't know the the great entrepreneurial trick of this thing is is to is to figure out really how to make food that tastes good, that's based on those principles available to a lot more people. Yeah, I uh, I don't know the answer to that uh-huh. either. But I will say to my friends who I've talked to who are either on limited time budgets, limited financial budgets, limited interest budgets, um, to consider the bigger picture of changing your relationship with food in that let's say you find one of the items you really like. For me, it's the roasted corn stew. I can't live without it. You are going to have to cook and it's going to take time, but make make enough for two weeks and freeze it and, and, and come back to it. You know, part of the uh, thing about food is that we um, plan social events around it. And, uh, what can I have today? Oh, I had Chinese yesterday. I'll get pizza today. And, you know, we try to stay entertained with our food. If you right. eat to live, and that's not my phrase, thank you, Mr. Furman, um, then your food doesn't have to be brand new every every day. So what's wrong with having the same meal two days in a row or every other day? Um, so I think that an, an economy of scale by cooking a lot of food helps minimize the hurdle. So that's what I tell people to do is pick three things you like and, and just make enough for the week. You know, you see bodybuilders do it all the time. That's right. They, they, they do their little Tupperwares with their protein and broccoli and whatever, and it serves their purpose. And so if your purpose is getting healthy and enjoying the food but picking just a few that you like, I think it can be accomplished. I don't have the golden answer on how to have delicious, crazy food like I like to make every day when cooking isn't your thing, time isn't your thing, money might not be your thing, whatever. I spend a lot of time cooking and a decent amount of money on ingredients because I have the ability to do so. I don't know how to make that scale down right now. It's uh, it, it's definitely a challenge for the for the future, but as we've seen, I think when, when Penn's book comes out uh, in August... Um, and more and more people start to, I mean, uh, you know, more and more people start to hear about it, you know, maybe there will be someone, someone out there who can figure that out. I'm I'm sure there will be, um, if it's, if it is scalable and viable and indeed if it's, if it proves to be something more than a cult, um, uh, uh, um, 
were you here for my vegan elevated party? I was, yes. Okay, so, um, Luke Elwin, who was the chef there, huge uh, vegan chef for fancy rich people on their yachts, um, I said, come out and do me a vegan uh, party. And he uses oils and natural sweeteners and all sorts of stuff. And when I, and salt. Yeah. When he came out, I said, you know, Penn doesn't do salt, oil, or sugar. We got to modify everything. He loved the challenge, created a fabulous meal for us, and left here uh, with sort of a new energy. He's like, I, I want to learn how to cook that way now. I want to create recipes and ways for people to practically eat on these constraints that you outlined for me. And while I haven't caught up with him lately, um, you know, he's the type of guy who could have less of a focus on the, the science and things that Ray is doing and find a way to monetize that and find a way to help people cook that way. I don't know. I just thought I'd throw that. Yeah, in. no, I, um, I think his, his meal was, I mean, you, you could not, I remember the sweetness of certain dishes was so amazing. It's amazing that he was able to do it without, know. you know, without anything, anything added. It, it right. just was right there. Um, a few other things that many people don't know about you is that you are so good at golf that you are the only female member of the Caesars Canasta Golf Club. Is that true? <laughs> There's so many things wrong with that sentence. Okay. I don't know where to start. <laughs> but unpack them all because that's fascinating. I am not so good. I'm pretty good. I'm about a seven handicap. My level of skill has nothing to do with Caesar's generosity. Oh. Uh, that has to do with being Penn's wife. And the name of the golf club is Cascada, which means Cascada. waterfall in Italian. And Canasta, <laughs> Canasta is a game that, that people play. It's a play. card game. It's a card game. <laughs> yeah, which I'll teach you at also. <laughs> yeah, well, that, so why aren't there any more, why aren't there any female, other female members of the, of the Cascada club? Just well, because it's, it's it's part of it's part of your your erroneous statement, and that it's not a private club. It's, okay, it's an expensive public club that Caesar's owns. That they have gifted me with an honorary membership because I'm married to a headliner. Ah, I see. Yes. Um, so nobody else could join. Nobody. Okay. So that that yes. would that would make perfect yeah. sense. Um, you were also, uh, and I'll scale down the adjective just because of your your correction last time, but but um, a really. Well, I'll say only one, a really good poker player as well. <laughs> um, I'm a decent poker player. I, I don't play uh, recreationally anymore. I only like to play in charity events. Yeah. But back in the day when I was playing a lot, I somehow got decent at it um, to the point where I remember I used to play a weekly tournament at the Venetian, and about eight weeks in a row I final tabled it to the point where Eric Seidel, who has eight World Series of Poker bracelets said to me something to the effect of, you know, I know you're not that good, but I got to come down and see what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> and he came down and watched me, sweated me, as it were, one week, which was quite an honor and rather perplexing to the rest of the table why a $150 tournament player was being sweated by one of the best players in the world. One of the things I've noticed about both you and Penn is that you have a lot of different things that you like to do. You have your interests are varied. I mean, some people uh, will spend all of their day sitting and reading um, or doing one thing, and you're always doing a lot of different things. And so is Penn, constantly. Yeah, um, you know, I, I, 
don't have an answer other than to explain that I've always been a busy person. I don't know that I've ever sat on the beach and relaxed. I like to do things. I like to to try new things. I like to involve other people. I'm very social and inclusive. Um, it's funny. Yesterday was my birthday. Happy birthday. And my aforementioned friend, Eric Seidel, texted me about 2 o'clock. And he said, hey, happy birthday. What are you doing? I said, well, I got up at 6.30. I worked out. I got a massage. I got a facial. I got my hair blown out. I'm going to lunch. And then we're headed to the circus. And that's just by 2 o'clock. He says, you're incredible. How do you have so much energy? And I took the opportunity to quote my other obsession, which is Hamilton. <laughs> and I quoted Lin-Manuel's uh line with a little creative license and said why do i live like i'm running out of time because uh the line in the show is why do you write like you're running out of time right um and uh that's all i can say is that i just feel like there's so much fun to be had and i don't want to miss any of it how many times have you seen hamilton only three only um only three and it was all in the first week and that was our crossover week of when penn and teller were finishing their broadway run and Hamilton opened next door at the Richard Rogers Theater. I am seeing it again on March 23rd with my children. I'm taking them on a Founding Fathers tour through Washington, D.C. Oh, wow. And New Jersey and New York with a focus on Hamilton, culminating uh, in the 8 o'clock performance starring Lin-Manuel Miranda, Leslie Odom Jr., and others. If if you are, it's interesting. Uh, uh, I, 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 more parents who... Uh, you're raising, uh, you know, you're, you're raising them in a sense with the civic religion of America, which is American history, um, which will impart to them enormously interesting and complex lessons about life in ways that stuff from a book might not, or probably won't. Um, uh, so I find you, do you find that raising them, um, to be, uh, uh, doubters and atheists um, gives you time to establish more and different sort of rituals with them. Um, I'm not asking this question in a very coherent way. Um, uh, I have no idea what I was going to say. But it was something along the lines of um, if you to, to if you don't have to spend time if you're not spending time on the sort of the just the I'll call it the crap of religion um there are so many other things in this country that you can that are worthwhile you can spend time one of the stupid questions that people always ask of atheists is well okay in absence of uh a a deity or who exists uh, in the ether somewhere, how do you teach your children about what's right and what's wrong and what, what's worked and what hasn't? And a founding father's trip through uh, the East Coast seems to be just as good a way as any to do that because the founding fathers were incredible people. They were flawed people. Um, they, were in, they were very different, all of them, um, and, you know, were full of... of you know, human foibles and incredible qualities. Uh, again, I can't think of a more perfect way to, to do that. How did you get the idea to do that? Just be uh, Certainly inspired by Hamilton. And a a as you just mentioned, my son, who's nine and a half, he came home from school just a couple weeks ago. He said, 
you know, Mom, your boy Alexander Hamilton, he isn't all that good of a guy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Which is true, of course. Which is true, Um, right. So here's the thing. Uh, I am not a Founding Fathers scholar. This is as much a tour for me. My excitement about our history has been so inspired by this show as everybody else who's seen it. I really owe a lot to it. And I have taken the opportunity to... I just got the Chernow book yesterday for my birthday. Oh, yeah. Um, Yes, thank you, Katrina. Happy birthday. So I'm going to try to read that in the next three weeks. Um, But I went out and bought... um, children's history books and founding fathers books and i'm reading those along with my children to fill in my gaps before i saw hamilton i would have been hard pressed to tell you much about hamilton or aaron burr or any of the story that i learned in lynn's interpretation of it which is very close to the truth but takes a lot of creative license to make it into a three-hour show so um this is a journey for me as well to learn i i've always been not always, but as long as I can remember, I've been a libertarian. So I've, I've known some things about our government and our country, but really kind of simple and clean. It's one of the things that attracts me to being a libertarian. It's just pretty clear cut. Um, and this is introducing me to many other things. So I, you know, if you want, I'll come back on in two months and tell you everything that we learned. Now, I promised Emily that we would have an audience in two months. So you know, that's on you. Uh, But thanks for listening today. I am Mark Ambender. You can find out more about me at Mark Ambender, M-A-R-C-A-M-B-I-N-D-E-R, on Twitter or knowledgewonderland.com. The podcast was produced by Tenshi Hikari, the music by Tin Tin V, which you can find at facebook.com slash T-I-N-T-I-N-V. Once again, Acast distributes and produces this podcast. Make sure I get their player at all the app stores. And thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.